Chapter Twelve of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter Twelve. The Avenue. It will not appear strange that I should linger so long upon the first few months of my association with a people who, now that I am an old man, look at me like my own children. For those who were then older than myself are now old dwellers in those high countries where there is no age, only wisdom, and I shall soon go to them. How glad I shall be to see my old Rogers again, who, as he taught me upon earth, will teach me yet more i thank my god in heaven but i must not let the reverie which always gathers about the feather end of my pen the moment i take it up to write these recollections interfere with the work before me after this christmas tide i found myself in closer relationship to my parishioners no doubt i was always in danger of giving unknown offence to those who were ready to fancy that i neglected them and did not distribute my favours equally. But as I never took offence, the offence I gave was easily got rid of. A clergyman, of all men, should be slow to take offence, for if he does, he will never be free or strong to reprove sin. And it must sometimes be his duty to speak severely to those, especially the good, who are turning their faces the wrong way. It is of little use to reprove the sinner, but it is worth while sometimes to reprove those who have a regard for righteousness, however imperfect they may be. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. But I took great care about interfering, though I would interfere upon request, not always, however, upon the side whence the request came, and more seldom still upon either side. The clergyman must never be a partisan. When our Lord was requested to act as umpire between two brothers, he refused. But he spoke and said, Take heed and be aware of covetedness. Now, though the best of men is unworthy to loose the latchet of his shoe, yet the servant must be as his master. Ah me, while I write it, I remember that the sinful woman might yet do as she would with his sacred feet. I bethink me, Desert may not touch his shoe-tie, love may kiss his feet. I visited, of course, at the hall, as at the farmhouses in the country, and the cottages in the village. I did not come to like Mrs. Oldcastle better, and there was one woman in the house whom I disliked still more, that Sarah, whom Judy had called in my hearing a white wolf. Her face was yet whiter than that of her mistress, only it was not smooth like hers, for its whiteness came apparently from the smallpox, which had so thickened the skin that no blood, if she had any, could shine through. I seldom saw her, only indeed caught a glimpse of her now and then, as I passed through the house. Nor did I make much progress with Mr. Stoddart. He had always something friendly to say, and often some theosophical theory to bring forward, which I must add never seemed to me to mean or at least to reveal anything He was a great reader of mystical books and yet the man's nature seemed cold 
It was sunshiny, but not sunny. His intellect was rather a lambent flame than a genial warmth. He could make things, but he could not grow anything. And when I came to see that he had had more than anyone else to do with the education of Miss Oldcastle, I understood her a little better, and saw that her so-called education had been in a great measure repression, of a negative sort, no doubt, but not therefore the less mischievous. For to teach speculation instead of devotion, mysticism instead of love, word instead of deed, is surely ruinously repressive to the nature that is meant for sunbright activity both of heart and hand my chief perplexity continued to be how he could play the organ as he did my reader will think that i am always coming round to miss oldcastle but if he does i cannot help it i began i say to understand her a little better she seemed to me always like one walking in a watery sunbeam without knowing that it was but the wintry pledge of a summer sun at hand. She took it, or was trying to take it, for the sunlight, trying to make herself feel all the glory people said was in the light, instead of making haste towards the perfect day. I found afterwards that several things had combined to bring about this condition, and I know she will forgive me, should I, for the sake of others, endeavour to make it understood by and by. I have not much more to tell my readers about this winter, as but of a whole changeful season, only one day, or, it may be, but one moment, in which the time seemed to burst into its own blossom, will cling to the memory. So of the various interviews with my friends, and the whole flow of the current of my life, during that winter, nothing more of nature or human nature occurs to me worth recording. I will pass on to the summer season as rapidly as I may, though the early spring will detain me with the relation of just a single incident. I was on my way to the hall to see Mr. Stoddart. I wanted to ask him whether something could not be done beyond his exquisite playing to rouse the sense of music in my people. I believe that nothing helps you so much to feel as the taking of what share may, from the nature of the thing, be possible to you because for one reason in order to feel it is necessary that the mind should rest upon the matter whatever it is the poorest success provided the attempt has been genuine will enable one to enter into any art ten times better than before now i had i confess little hope of moving mr stoddart in the matter but if i should succeed i thought it would do himself more good to mingle with his humble fellows in the attempt to do them a trifle of good than the opening of any number of intellectual windows towards the circumambient truth it was just beginning to grow dusk the wind was blustering in gusts among the trees swaying them suddenly and fiercely like a keen passion now sweeping them all one way as if the multitude of tops would break loose and rush away like a wild river and now subsiding as suddenly and allowing them to recover themselves and stand upright with tones and motions of indignant expostulation there was just one cold bar of light in the west and the east was one grey mass while overhead the stars were twinkling the grass and all the ground about the trees were very wet the time seemed more dreary somehow than the winter Rigour was past, and tenderness had not come. 
for the wind was cold without being keen and bursting from the trees every now and then was a roar as of a sea breaking on distant sands whirled about me as if it wanted me to go and join in its fierce play suddenly i saw to my amazement in a walk that ran alongside of the avenue miss oldcastle struggling against the wind which blew straight down the path upon her the cause of my amazement was twofold first i had supposed her to be with her mother in london whither their journeys had not been infrequent since christmas-tide and next why should she be fighting with the wind so far from the house and only a shawl drawn over her head the reader may wonder how i should know her in this attire in the dusk and where there was not the smallest probability of finding her suffice it to say that i did recognize her at once and passing between two great tree trunks and through an opening in some underwood was by her side in a moment but the noise of the wind had prevented her from hearing my approach and when i uttered her name she started violently and turning drew herself up very haughtily in part i presume to hide her tremor she was always a little haughty with me i must acknowledge could there have been anything in my address however unconscious of it i was that made her fear i was ready to become intrusive or might it not be that hearing of my footing with my parishioners generally she was prepared to resent any assumption of clerical familiarity with her and so in my behaviour any poor innocent bush was supposed to bear for i need not tell my reader that nothing was farther from my intention even with the lowliest of my flock than to presume upon my position as clergyman i think they all gave me the relation i occupied towards them personally but i had never seen her look so haughty as now if i had been watching her very thoughts she could hardly have looked more indignant i beg your pardon i said distressed i have startled you dreadfully not in the least she replied but without moving and still with a curve in her form like the neck of a frayed horse i thought it better to leave apology which was evidently disagreeable to her and speak of indifferent things i was on my way to call on mr stoddart i said you will find him at home i believe I fancied you were Mrs. Oldcastle in London. We returned yesterday. Still she stood as before. I made a movement in the direction of the house. She seemed as if she would walk in the opposite direction. May I not walk with you to the house? I am not going in just yet. Are you protected enough for such a night? I enjoy the wind. I bowed and walked on, for what else could I do? I cannot say that I enjoyed leaving her behind me in the gathering dark, the wind blowing her about with no more reverence than if she had been a bush or privet. Nor was it with a light heart that I bore her repulse as I slowly climbed the hill to the house. However, a little personal mortification is wholesome, though I cannot say either that I derived much consolation from the reflection sarah opened the glass door her black glossy restless eyes looking out of her white face from under grey eyebrows i knew at once by her look beyond me that she had expected to find me accompanied by her young mistress i did not volunteer any information 
as my reader may suppose i found as i had feared that although mr stoddart seemed to listen with some interest to what i said i could not bring him to the point of making any practical suggestion or of responding to one made by me and i left him with the conviction that he would do nothing to help me yet during the whole of our interview he had not opposed a single word i said he was like clay too much softened with water to keep the form into which it had been modelled he would take some kind of form easily and lose it yet more easily i did not show all my dissatisfaction however for that would only have estranged us and it is not required nay it may be wrong to show all you feel or think what is required of us is not to show what we do not feel or think for that is to be false i left the house in a gloomy mood i know i ought to have looked up to god and said these things do not reach to thee my father thou art ever the same and i rise above my small as well as my great troubles by remembering thy peace and thy unchangeable godhood to me and all thy creatures but i did not come to myself all at once the thought of god had not come though it was pretty sure to come before i got home i was brooding over the littleness of all i could do and feeling that sickness which sometimes will overtake a man in the midst of the work he likes best when the unpleasant parts of it crowd upon him and his own efforts especially those made from the will without sustaining impulse come back upon him with a feeling of unreality decay and bitterness as if he had been unnatural and untrue and putting himself in false relations by false efforts for good i know this all came from selfishness thinking about myself instead of about god and my neighbor but so it was and so i was walking down the avenue where it was now very dark with my head bent to the ground when i in my turn started at the sound of a woman's voice and looking up saw by the starlight the dim form of miss oldcastle standing before me she spoke first mr walton i was very rude to you i beg your pardon indeed i did not think so i only thought what a blundering awkward fellow i was to startle you as i did you have to forgive me i fancy and here i know she smiled though how i know i do not know i fancy i have made that even she said pleasantly for you must confess i startled you now you did but it was in a very different way i annoyed you with my rudeness you only scattered a swarm of bats that kept flapping their skinny wings in my face what do you mean there are no bats at this time of the year not outside in winter and rough weather they creep inside you know ah i ought to understand you but i did not think you were ever like that i thought you were too good i wish i were i hope to be some day i am not yet anyhow and i thank you for driving the bats away in the meantime you make me the more ashamed of myself to think that perhaps my rudeness had a share in bringing them yours is no doubt thankless labor sometimes she seemed to make the last remark just to prevent the conversation to returning to her as its subject and now all the bright portions of my work came up before me you are quite mistaken in that miss oldcastle on the contrary the thanks i get are far more than commensurate with the labor 
Of course one meets with a disappointment sometimes, but that is only when they don't know what you mean. And how should they know what you mean till they are different themselves? You remember what Wordsworth says on this very subject in his poem of Simon Lee. I do not know anything of Wordsworth. I've heard of hearts unkind, kind deeds. With coldness still returning, alas, the gratitude of men hath oftener left me mourning. I do not quite see what he means. May I recommend you to think about it? You will be sure to find it out for yourself, and that will be ten times more satisfactory than if I were to explain it to you. And besides, you will never forget it if you do. Will you repeat the lines again? I did so. All this time the wind had been still. Now it rose with a slow gush in the trees. Was it fancy? Or, as the wind moved the shrubbery, did I see a white face? And could it be the white wolf, as Judy called her? I spoke aloud. But it is cruel to keep you standing here in such a night. You must be a real lover of nature to walk in the dark wind. I like it. Good night. So we parted. I gazed into the darkness after her, though she disappeared at the distance of a yard or two, and would have stood longer had I not still suspected the proximity of Judy's wolf, which made me turn and go home, regardless now of Mr. Stoddart's doughiness. I met Miss Oldcastle several times before the summer, but her old manner remained, or rather had returned, for there had been nothing of it in the tone of her voice in that interview, if interview it could be called, where neither could see more than the other's outline. End of chapter 12